This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. It's just me today, uh, and this is... This is an interesting episode because I actually recorded it already and I had a crisis of confidence in the middle of the episode because I wanted to talk about three main things. First, I wanted to talk about the Reddit situation, which I did and that was fine. And I quickly wanted to just tee up the fact that Summer House, the reality show that Hannah is on, Hannah, my girlfriend, starts tonight. I wanted to just talk quickly about, you know, living with a reality show person when their show is about to be on TV, because it's kind of, it's kind of intrusive into your life. And then I wanted to talk about the fact that my brother reminded me this morning that it's 10 years uh, since my dad died today, February 4th. And I was like, I was talking about it. I was driving in my car, recording this, which you're about to hear, and I was talking about it, but I I had like a crisis of confidence in the middle because, number one, I, I was haunted by the fact that so many of you guys have heard me talk about this before. I couldn't shake that. And then secondly, I think I got a bit emotional and started to question, was this a bit like morose? So I, I stopped and I was I was sitting at the Shinnecock Inlet because, uh, you know, I was driving in the car recording. And while I was at the Shinnecock Inlet, I was like looking at my phone and I was like, you know what? I think I'll just talk about something else. And I was I was looking actually to, to look at other news of the day. I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll shorten the bit about my dad and I'll just add another news story. And the number one trending topic on Twitter was World Cancer Day. And I thought, if that is not a sign to keep talking about this subject, and it gave me the confidence to get back into it. So I apologize in advance that this episode is a little all over the place. I just wanted to talk about it. It's been a decade, and I wasn't that organized. Maybe I should have done an outline, but I hope that you enjoy it anyway. I think it's interesting. I'm going to I'm going to push past the doubt that I've told this story one too many times to people, but I got to think that we've got a lot of new listeners. I, you know, listen, I, I don't even know why I'm questioning myself. This is really just, this is just a, a, a window into the, into the bedroom of my lack of self-belief right now. That's what you guys are getting. So all that aside, I think it's going to be a fun app. Um, I'll talk to you at the end and enjoy. It's just me today holding the line. Hold the fucking line, folks. Because today's episode is really going to be about loss. 
many different uh, many different senses of loss going on at the moment. But first, can I start with the the troopers, the financial soldiers over on Reddit, over on Wall Street Bets, that today, today being Thursday, February fourth, that they're still holding the line over there, uh, and what is the tail end of an incredible story of David and Goliath for a period of time, but then, you know, in the David Goliath story, uh, it didn't turn out that, you know, people thought David was still fighting, whereas David was going and counting his fucking profits, where a load of David's fucking friends who were still fighting Goliath are sitting there hopeless as some of these poor fuckers at the end of the Wall Street Bets saga are still holding on. I have to say, it's a very, it's a fucked up story. You know? I got a lot of, I got a lot of, uh, I got to give these guys kudos, but then I also have a lot of sympathy for the ones that hung on at the end, because at the end of the day, money is a fucking dirty game. And for every, you know, fucking kid with a message that was buying and you know holding on to this stock thinking that they were going to stick it to the man i mean they did they 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 got a fucking pot shot at you know some of these hedge funds melvin capital i think being the biggest loser and you gotta say high five like i i just thought it was amazing you know that somebody figured out this little this little blip in the market they, they sent it to the man. They got organized. Beautiful thing. And I think that they could have done more damage if the system didn't work against them. Which, you have to say, there's a lot of safeguards in place in the system. I think there should be more. And if those safeguards were implemented fairly, then you would say that the safeguards worked. But the safeguards aren't implemented fairly. And... This was really the first time that the, you know, the fact that, you know, it's easier to get into retail trading was the first time that the system kind of got fucked by it, you know, and I don't think you need me to repeat all the drama, but that one particular day where, you know, Robin Hood went down and then it just became harder and harder to buy GameStop shares particularly... It was it was pretty screwed up. I mean, that was the day where it really they could have sank more of these hedge funds and they got protected. Whether they will find out in the long term that it wasn't specifically to protect the hedge funds, it was just a typical volatile stock protection and whether it'll turn out to be true that uh, Robinhood had to stop the shares because they had to gather up more capital because the clearinghouses wouldn't accept the trades because they didn't have enough capital to cover the trades. Whether all that turns out to be true, I still think it's fucked up. You know, that this shit happens all the time. And I can assure you that there's... There's not as much protection for the retail investor as there was for some of these large institutions. And as somebody who lived through 2008 and lived through watching the house value decline by over 60 percent, 
and uh, pension fund get decimated. Short term, I understand, but somebody who lived through that horror and then didn't see any real uh, any real support afterwards, only just really punishment from the EU for our crazy ways. Uh, it's pretty fucked up to see these hedge funds who, sorry, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying these hedge funds were protected, but let's call a spade a spade. Elements of the financial world did really well out of Ireland's misery back in 08. And the people who suffered the most didn't really get any support. We didn't get any deals on our mortgages. Uh, you know, we certainly didn't get any, any financial assistance. Some of the things that have come quite quickly in COVID, you, you know, there was, there was no real action like that taken in the financial crisis. It was all moral hazard. And the system will collapse if we don't, you know, if we don't sort of, uh, you know, if, if, if we default, you know, all these things. Uh, this is just a, uh, a wishy-washy way of saying that the game is rigged. And I know that sounds sort of uh, financially illiterate, or perhaps I'm simplifying it too much, but it's pretty clear from what happened that the game is rigged. And it should have been let to play out. I think the ending would have been pretty similar, but I think there would have been more damage done, particularly on that day where Robinhood limited the shares. And now as the stock has dropped more and more, Robinhood takes off their limits. Now you can buy as many dropping GME shares as you want. And I don't really blame Robinhood because to me, I'm watching Gamora at the moment, which is an amazing, uh, you know, amazing mafia series about the clans in, in Naples, in Napoli. And, you know, money makes everybody fucking crooked. And you often see these these small timers get in and they're doing well for a while but in the end the fucking powers that be they knock you down a peg and in the end Robin Hood was not gonna Robin Hood's the fucking street dealer and Robin the street dealer is not gonna be allowed to take down the whole fucking system it's as simple as that so Robin Hood learned pretty quick that you gotta fucking you gotta keep those crackheads in line which is basically from what I can see the way that the the financial media perceived these fucking lunatics on Reddit. Crackheads. Out of their mind. Even though, really, they got onto a good thing for a short period of time and nobody liked the fact that they didn't see it coming. Uh, and it's empowering when you see people organize. You know, whether in the end they'll, sc- they'll, they'll skim through those Reddit threads and uh, find out if there was any sort of, you know, organizing pump-and-dump type behavior fair enough if they find it but I won't be very critical of it because it's clear as day that that goes on all the time you know it's not a fair system not to mention that the retail investor can't trade after hours the whole thing is messed up you know I think the only good thing about this is a lot of people understand the markets more I mean even I understand I like I'm not by the way I'm not a trader and and can I just say for the record that I did it on that day on the day that uh, Robinhood stopped the shares, I uh, I bought uh, some GME shares. Uh, they went up like 25%. I sold them. Uh, but I, I was kind of doing it to support them. But then I sold them, so I wasn't supporting. But at the end of the day, I wasn't doing it for the cause. I just found the whole thing fascinating. Anyway, 
I feel for them now. I see them there on Reddit. And they're, they're still telling each other to hold. And you know that some of these people sold ages ago. You know, like, you can't, these guys can't trust each other. That's the problem. Money in the end always divides people. All these guys are in it for the cause, quote unquote. But in the end, some of them sold. Some of them made money. And there's some suckers at the end are going to lose money. But those suckers, I was a sucker in 99, 2000. I own a technologies, lost everything. Trintech. Lost everything. Yeah, I lost money on that shit. You know, I was a sucker then. Taught me a little bit about trading. You know, taught me a little bit about that. And I don't do it a lot. I do it every now and then. I got my pension. But anyway, it was pretty interesting. Plus, it introduced me to the world of Reddit. Which, you know, when you're a... When you're a comedian that a lot of uh, people like to tell you to fuck off back to where you came from, Reddit's not really a safe place for you. I've very rarely gone there. As far as I was concerned, Reddit was really a, uh, a pit of hell. Just a toxic, troll-infested environment. But I have to say, I have really enjoyed the Wall Street Bets journey. I've really enjoyed the memes. And I have to take it back. I was too negative on Reddit. Yes, it's full of trolls. And even in the Wall Street Bets uh, arena, there's some pretty negative language. They all call themselves the R word, and there's a lot of sort of there's a lot of juvenile sort of, I would say, not so positive in the masculinity department. Uh, you know, bravado, uh, sort of juvenile humor. However, there is uh, there is some really funny memes, and. Uh, and then there's this interesting karma thing, which I never knew about. But I was trying to post, and I couldn't post because I didn't have enough karma. So, you need to write... You need to write... Uh, you know, you need to leave comments on, on, on subreddits that allow you to make comments with your limited karma. And uh, then when people upvote your karma, you uh, upvote your post, you get more karma. So I had to find some quick karma. And one of the ways that I found was really good for getting karma is I was going into uh, subreddits that were critical of me and leaving negative comments about myself. And then people would upvote them and I would get karma for that, which I just thought was so fucking karmic. That's the best fucking karma I've ever got. I'm actually sucking positive energy from the negative energy that is pushed towards me. If that isn't good karma, I don't know what is. So now I can post on Reddit. I built up some karma quick. And with that karma, I can now check out all the toxic energy that's going to be coming Hannah's way too because Summer House starts tonight. The first time in my life, I'm going out with somebody who's on reality TV. Proper reality TV, not like fucking Dancing with the Stars, not the shit that I've done. I mean, proper, trashy, bravo reality TV, episode one tonight. I have to say, it's, it's, giving, me some, uh, it's giving me some energy, some butterflies. Nothing to do with me, it's all to do with Hannah. But I try to keep her calm. But if you're in America, make sure you watch it. I'm, I'm, I'm debating whether to watch or not because I know that there's some, 
some 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 hangover drama with her previous fling with Luke. So I know that's there and that's fine, you know. And I don't know if I want to see that or not because it's really none of my business, you know. She got to deal with that shit. It's TV and all that. But I'll decide if I'll watch or not. Then I have the the, the even bigger decision. By the way, I'm driving. I forgot to say that that this is a. I'm driving because Hannah's actually. Uh, I think she's she's doing a podcast with the Bitch Bible or something. She's doing a she's she recording an episode, and uh, the house was the house wasn't. It's not big enough for two podcasts recording at the same time. So I said, you know what? Let me go for a drive. So I'm driving down Dune Road, and uh, I'm pondering. Whether I should do like reaction episodes on this podcast to Summer House. Because I know it'll bring a lot of energy to the pod. A lot of new subscribers and stuff like that. But then that's kind of like, it's playing the game too much, don't you think? It's kind of like going over to the dark side. But then at the same time, I've had to deal with so much stress related to this show. You know, you guys remember those weeks... Where Hannah was in that house and I wasn't even allowed to say she was in the house. Suppose, you know, whatever. You got to have all these secrets. There's a lot of fucking stress for me. A lot of anxiety. And sometimes I feel like I need some karma coming back my way from Summer House. So if I can get some new subscribers and bring some people over to our eclectic mix of comedy and well-being and anger and grief... Over here on the podcast, then why wouldn't I? I think I deserve it for all the stress I had to go through. You know? So we'll see. I'm going to put this up today. So message me on Instagram, slide into my DMs at Des Bishop, and let me know if you think I should do Summer House reaction episodes, extra episodes every week, not the episode. Um,. And uh, we, we'll, we'll, we'll have a think about that. So, as I said, this, uh, this, is about, this is about loss. And the other thing I want to talk about, which is much more serious, I wanted to start lighthearted because I didn't want you guys to like be on a downer, have a bit of a laugh about Reddit. Uh, and I'm not telling you my, my, my Reddit handle, by the way. Uh, what was I going to say? Sorry, I got distracted there. Oh, yeah. So I got, I was surprised today. My brother texted me, my brother Mike. Today's February 4th. And it, I, 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 I cannot believe it, but my father is dead 10 years today. 10 years. And... Obviously, the joke is, I don't know what hurts me more, the fact that I'm 10 years older or the fact that my dad's gone 10 years. That's the joke. But the truth is that I can't fucking believe it's been 10 years. And I know that we talk a lot about grief on this podcast. And I thought, ah, I think I'll talk about it again because it's always like these little check-in moments that you, you know, it, it becomes... You, you know, there's something about it, something that makes you remember, you know, to, to, to see where you're at, you know. And 
I don't I don't think about my dad that much other than I've been on Ancestry.com lately and I've been sort of, you know, checking back on my ancestors. But, you know, I don't I like that was the thing when I when, when I heard it was 10 years. I I I, I was really like, fuck and hell like this is the fastest decade of my life. I think every decade gets quicker for most people. I'm only speaking with the experience of 45 years. But it, it's just, it just went by so fast. I just can't believe it. Uh, and I also feel so much more, you know, because my mom has died since. I, I feel like so much more knowledgeable about it all. But the problem is that you... You really figure out how to lose your parents by losing them. <laughs> so I can't take all this knowledge and skill that I have of grieving my parents and take it anywhere else. Well, I certainly don't fucking want to. I mean, statistically, I won't be grieving my spouse if that day ever comes. Statistically, I'm going to go first. And in my current situation, the fucking stats are really high in my favor. That I won't be doing the grieving. And please God, nothing bad ever happens. Anything tragic. You know, maybe my siblings. But, you know, I don't know. Could this have, could I have already passed the biggest lumps of grief in my life? I'll never know. I don't even like this conversation because it almost is a fucking touch wood situation, right? I don't want to be getting into any touch wood situations. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just speaking out loud, but. I guess what I'm saying is a lot of time has passed and there's a distance from it. And there's even a sadness in that. There's a sadness in how much life goes on. And anyone who's lost somebody, I think they can understand that. You know? That just sometimes you don't think about them for a long time and you haven't done anything wrong. But when you remember, you think, Jesus. It's amazing how something that once was so permanent is now just so gone so absent and you can you can relate that back to so many things in your life you know even just the other day i was telling hannah about some friends of mine and you know so the people that were so i was so close to in the 80s and you know like, I have nothing to do with them now. And it seems so permanent at the time. Everything is so goddamn permanent. And then I had, a, I had like a little panicky thought. Because, you know, my dad moved to, whatever, he moved to the States in his 30s. You know, met my mom, got married. And the life that I knew of my father, you know, was his friends that, that were in Queens. And, you know, Burberry and... Just, just this life that had nothing to do with, you know, what ended up being the other half of his life. Now, my dad was 39 when he had me. He only lived till 74. So, he didn't even live half his life. You know, like, less than half his life was the life that I knew. And, uh... It had nothing to do with all those. The odd person would pop in. Dudley Sutton. Great actor. You might know him from Lovejoy. Uh, a few other people would would pop around. And then obviously I got to know the Irish crew. 
I had this panicky thought about all my Irish friends, you know, all my, my life as I see it today. Because right now I don't see myself as having moved away from Ireland. I'm just staying on the beach during a pandemic. But just hypothetically speaking, let's say that life is more, you know, I, I'm staying here. Let's just say, hypothetically speaking, Hannah and I, it's a success. And I stay here by the beach and, and this becomes my life, which I, I'm not saying that's a negative. But I did have a panicky thought of, Jesus, this first half of my life, it'll be like my dad. That I'll, it'll just be gone. You know, pounded away into the memories. Like my friends whose phone numbers I still remember. Even though they don't even have those phones anymore. I don't even know Hannah's number off by heart, but I could tell you fucking Rob Miraglia's number. Still. Marcello Mariani's number, I could tell you. John Joya's number, I could tell you their name, their numbers. I don't see them anymore. They're, I don't have very little to do with my friends. Christine Jamelli's number, it's not her number anymore. I still know her number. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say any of them, just in case one of them, it, it's still their parents' phone number. But I remember them. It's fucking weird. PJ Puma's number, de- definitely still, but I, I still see him. Anyway, I'm, I'm, all I'm saying is, life is funny like that. It just seems so permanent, and then it's not. Which is actually a good motivation for not taking things as serious as you do sometimes, because... Everything passes. You know? That's a great recovery expression. This too shall pass. And there is an immediacy sometimes with the way that you're feeling, a sense of how the fuck am I going to get through this? But if you don't take any extreme action, you always do get through it. And things have a way of working themselves out regardless. Even the most perilous situations do have a way of working themselves out. But, uh, you know... I don't mean it in that way. I just mean that that's the thing about loss after a while. Ten years to this day, my dad died. And I, I, I wrote a book. I, you know, People have probably heard me talk about it before, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I don't, you know, when I think about it, 
you know because obviously I said there's moments of time where it, the long periods of time where it just time passes and you don't think about them but then when I think about it it seems like yesterday you know all of us in the room and I think it's good to think about it sometimes you know to remember I didn't even think you know when I when I when I thought about talking about this I didn't even think about what I was going to say I just said I would I would mark the occasion um, and often like when I talk on my own sometimes I, I, I regret it like I regretted just there just thinking about it because you know what I started to do I started to think about you guys listening to me talking about losing my father and then I got I, I, I questioned myself I'm driving through a puddle in case you wonder what that noise is I'm at the end of uh, Dune Road in Hampton Bays at the Shinnecock Inlet I'm going to pull in actually so seeing as it's World Cancer Day and it's the 10th anniversary of losing my dad I figured I'd talk a bit about it you know I think all of us are affected by cancer uh, very emotive topic um, you know when I it's funny because when I found out I had cancer I was 24 I uh, you know it, it was the word was the heaviest part you know in the end you do a bit of research and like more often than not it's no big deal you know it's like there's so many things that kill us these days and it's still cancer for some reason just as a fucking this dark association but my dad honestly my dad getting cancer that was like real cancer you know because I'll never forget it the, you know I'm, I haven't told this and you know what I'm just going to retell it even though I've like talked about it before I, I just it's been 10 years it's been 12 years really since what I'm about to say but I remember uh I ran the Dublin Marathon, 2009, which was disaster because I fucking, I trained all of Edinburgh, 2009. I remember John, I used to run a lot with John Bishop and Jason Byrne. And John Bishop would always make fun of me, be like, you know, have you told anybody you're running the marathon today? You know, because I was going on about it a lot, but it is all consuming, you know? And, uh... So I was, I, was, I was running the fucking Dublin Marathon. I tore my calf seven weeks before. I had gone, you know, I had actually, I recorded a Desfunctional at the Roisin Dove, um, which uh, I had run. I remember I was in Galway for three days and I ran, I guess, I don't know, I guess I was up to... I'm trying to think of the exact I'm trying to think of the exact timeline. Anyway, I, I I'm getting caught up in dates. Long story short, I was uh I was I was up to sixteen miles, I feel. And uh I I was I was filming Desfunctional and right before I went back to New York, I think it was like a Monday, my brother told me, nah. Nah, actually, why do I keep getting caught up in these stupid days? It doesn't matter. The point is that I was up to 16 miles on the on the development of it. And my brother said, oh, you could do a 20. So I did a fucking 20. I jumped from 16 to 20, which I shouldn't have done. 
And I ran that no problem in really good time, you know, just training. And then I, I feel like I filmed Desfunctional and then I, I flew to New York. And I was due to do like an 11-mile run. I was out here on Dune Road. But I had flown like the day before. There's always fucking injuries after you fly. And I tore my calf. But I didn't know I tore my calf. And I was due to run the Queens Half Marathon the following weekend, like this Sunday. And my calf seemed to be healing up throughout the week. So I ran the half marathon, no problem. But by the end of the run, my calf was really starting to hurt. And I had made the tear worse. Went back to Dublin, went to the Beacon Hospital. She told me I had a tear. I couldn't run for four weeks. And I had, whatever, two and a half weeks after, after my four weeks. I had two and a half weeks to prepare for the marathon. Fucking ran it. Disaster. I was miserable. I wasn't ready. I live on the route. You know, it was torture. So in my mind, I'm going to do a sub four. Uh, you know, I, I was well, I was well on tune for like a 340 when I ran my 20 miles that time before I tore my calf. I was like not in good shape when I actually ran the marathon after that big layoff. Uh, and I live on like mile 12 South Circular Road and as I was passing my house I knew I was done I'm not even halfway through and I'm like I'm over it you know what I mean and I should have I said to myself just go home right now just literally walk off this road and go in your house but I was running it coincidentally enough for the Irish Cancer Society and I felt like I couldn't let them down even though I should have just stopped there and I could have done another marathon in like eight weeks or something, you know, with the proper prep. And I, I didn't. I kept running it. I was fucking miserable. I was in torch. I was in agony. You know, I had to keep stopping. It was a nightmare. But, you know, I ran it. You know, I, I've, I've officially finished a marathon. But it was like, like, you know, it's meant to be grueling towards the end. But it was grueling for me from fucking crumbling on. It was a fucking nightmare. I hated it. Uh, had nothing but problems since. Anyway... Finished the marathon, and I had to, I had to go back to the states. I can't even remember for what, but I was going back. I wasn't actually going back to see my dad, but it was Halloween very shortly after that, uh, because the New York marathon was the following week. And funnily enough, I think it was T Tara Flynn. I don't. Tara Flynn, Irish comedian, had messaged me and said she was supposed to go and do the New York Marathon, but she couldn't do it. Did I want to take her place? And I remember thinking about doing it. Uh, thank God I didn't. Uh, but uh, Halloween night, my dad... Halloween day, my dad was feeling like shit. And I had dressed up as the cat in the hat to go into Manhattan with my brother Mike, my little nephew Kieran... Uh, to go to the Central Park Zoo with my mom. And it was so much fun. Great day. We got home. My dad really felt bad. And I stayed dressed as the cat in the hat because all the trick-or-treaters were going to come over. And I never... I never... Uh, I'm never home on Halloween. So it was cool for me. I hadn't really dealt with like a lot of trick-or-treaters uh, for years. I mean, I live in Rialto in Dublin. Halloween is a fucking nightmare. Halloween is absolute hell in Rialto. You know, your bins are always getting burned. It's 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 literally like let's just get through, let's survive this. 
I think I've said it before, but I've gone through more bins in Rialto. They're always robbing my bins. You know, I chased them down once. That's the madness of living in the hood. In the end, you lose your patience, and I chased after these kids over a bin. Now, luckily enough, I got away with it, and they're probably all in prison now. But at the time, I really, it was quite dangerous to chase them. So I was in New York for Halloween. It was much nicer, except that, lo and behold, the one fucking break from Rialto, I got a Halloween. My dad is fucking dying. But we didn't know he was dying at the time. I just knew that he didn't want to do the trick-or-treaters. He wanted to just sit in his chair. Uh, And I, of course, I was giving him, like, advice on what he should do. As I said in the documentary, I was telling him, like, eat yogurt. You know, you think you're, like, that'll settle his stomach. That's what you need. But, of course, it was, you know, stage four small cell lung cancer, but who knew? Um, he also had pneumonia, which of course we found out afterwards is post-obstructive pneumonia. It's pneumonia caused by the, the blockages in his lungs from the tumors. But we didn't know this. All I know is that I was doing trick-or-treaters. Person driving on the wrong side of the road here. Um, I was doing trick-or-treaters and, uh, I got a bit tired and I went for a nap. And when I woke up from my nap, my cousin was downstairs. She was a nurse. She was, I could hear her voice loudly saying, we got to get this guy to a hospital. And I was like, Jesus. Of course, I was being judgmental, thinking that they're all anxiety-ridden, crazy women from Queens overreacting. And I took my dad to Booth Memorial Hospital uh, in Flushing. And, uh, you know, they were just like, oh, he's got pneumonia, he's got to stay in. And, you know, I assume now that they were, they were pretty aware from the get-go that, my dad was, uh, you know, had cancer, but we didn't know. My brother said afterwards that he could really tell that something was up, but didn't know what. Um, and my dad always tells us, well, my dad doesn't tell the story anymore, but he told the story at the time uh, that, you know, it was fucking Halloween night. It's not a great night to be in the hospital. Uh, people were coming in, covered in real blood and fake blood. And uh, it was just chaos in the ER. He had a miserable, miserable night. Uh, but then the next day, he got into ETAP early, you know, the early treatment of admitted patients. So it's like a little sort of, a uh, little separate, uh, quieter part of the emergency room. And why I was sort of talking about the Dublin Marathon was because I remember on the Sunday, we were in the ETAP room, and my we had the New York Marathon on. And I remember watching that New York Marathon in this room, my dad in the hospital, not knowing that he had cancer, though, just thinking that he had pneumonia, and they were running some tests. And they did, a, you know, like a lung endoscopy uh, and uh, a pulmonary endoscopy. Is that what it is? All I just know is it's the pulmonary department. And uh, we were watching the New York Marathon, and I remember thinking, thank God I didn't take her spot because I would have been so miserable. Uh and I was so comfortable sitting in there in this ETAP room with my dad. And uh, then on the Monday, you know, like Aiden was in Ireland, you know, and uh, we're all just keeping everybody abreast. My brother was in school, you know, teaching. And uh, on the Monday, we were going to to talk to the the, the, the pulmonary specialist. 
uh, you know, my dad got, we brought my, I think we went with my dad to get this. Anyway, I, I can't remember exactly, but all I know is that we were not expecting any crazy news. My mother and I, my mother and I were just like, well, I certainly wasn't thinking it'd be a big deal. My mother was very anxious, but my mother's always anxious, you know, and she's only been right about six times. The rest of the time she was anxious over nothing. You know, she, she was right about uh, testicular cancer, my alcoholism, my dad's cancer, and about three other things. <laughs> the rest of the time, she fucking wasted her life with worry. I'm joking. So, the guy, would you believe that the doctor who ended up telling us about my dad ended up being my mother's pulmonary specialist. His name has gone out of my head, but his office is on Francis Lewis Boulevard and like 56th Avenue. Uh, so nice guy with a mustache. I always remember. And he didn't have his all, you know, like that wasn't like his office. So he felt bad. He just pulled us to the side in the hallway. And, uh, he said, uh, you know, it's, it's a small cell lung cancer stage four and yeah, it's not curable. And then he said that, you know, there's things we can do to prolong life, but, you know, the diet, the pro- I, think, I think he said something like the prognosis. I can't remember if he said the prognosis, but I just remember him saying that it, it's, it's fatal or something to that effect. And I remember my, my mother kind of like almost unable to stand up. She was like, she, she just squeezed my arm. She was like like ready to drop. And uh, he felt bad, and he felt bad that he did it where, he, you know, in the hallway. But I was like, thank you, doctor. And then my mother was just like, I have to get out of here. You know, I have to get out of here. Tessman, get me out of here, please. And I mean, I was nearly carrying her out of the hospital. It's amazing. She just needed like, she just needed some space. And uh, I just remember her constantly saying, Desmond, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I just remember thinking, how the fuck, how did I end up in this situation? How was it on me? But I knew that I, I was going to do it. I just, I just didn't think today was going to be the day. I didn't think that day was going to be the day, as I said in the show, that I was going to become the parent of my parents. You know, that suddenly my mother was going to be hanging off me. That's the thing. It just, like, happens. That's kind of... That's sort of what I was getting at earlier. It's just life. You just never fucking know, man. That's why it's kind of pointless to hold on to the worry. Because when the day comes, you'll either deal with it or you won't. But I took my mother outside. I took a picture of the bench. I must go through my my pictures because I I wanted to remember it afterwards. I took a picture of that bench. My mother and I just sat in it for a while. She was just bawling, crying. I I can't remember if I was. I guess I was. But my overriding memory of that moment was just trying to be there for her. You know? Uh... So then I, I called my brother 
I, I feel like my brother's like, it's bad, right? I feel like he kind of knew because I was calling him at school, you know? And I told him, and then I couldn't get Aiden for a while. I remember that. And I just remember that my mother told me that she needed me to tell my father. She, I, you know, I can't even remember where she went, but I just know that she just couldn't handle telling him. So I had to go in. See, that's why it's good to talk about it, because you remember. And I can remember, like, every inch of that room. E-tap room. Um, and I walked in, and I, I think... I think they told him, actually. It's funny, that's, that's weird. I, I, I think... I think he already knew because he was sitting on the end of the bed really dejected and uh, he always worried about getting cancer he would always say that once it's not the big C and now he had it and uh he just put his head into my chest didn't say anything he just sort of sat there and I was just holding him and that was it that's the moment I think it'll happen for most people you know this moment where your parents don't look after you anymore you look after them I mean, I know I talked about all this before in the show and all, but for these podcast listeners that maybe never saw that, I think it's really good to to hear it if you've experienced it, that moment, uh, or to know about it for when you do, but you have to be there for that. You have to be present. You have to step up. In my opinion, that's one of the that's one of the duties of family. Um, and everybody has their role. I'm not. That doesn't mean that if you haven't, if this happened in your family and and you weren't the one that was able to be there because you had young kids or work. I'm not saying that you had to be like present, present as in there all the time. But you got to do your part. You know, I really do feel that. And uh, yeah, that was it. That was the moment we found out that my dad had cancer. Now, uh, as people know, we made a we had a fucking hell of a time with that year and a half. You know, I ended up writing that show and getting my dad involved, and it was wonderful. But you know, in the end, they go. And that day was 10 years ago today. Sort of 6.30 a.m. And I was glad I was there. Being there is luck. You know, I think I feel like I've talked about that before too. But being there is just pure luck. And I was lucky to be there with my brother Aiden. 
uh, but we were lucky to be together as a family at that time. And you know, really, with the whole, with all the loss, we've been lucky to be there. And both times, we got some semblance of a warning. So I'm happy for that. But you know, I'm happy to get a break from the loss too because. The one overriding memory I got today when my brother texted me was, what the fuck happened to these 10 years? You know? It was just literally losing my father, China, my mother being sick, losing my mother. I mean, I worked the entire time and I had relationships and different things, but it's all just a blur. I just feel like it was like a lost decade. And uh, I'm happy to be out the other end of it, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. You know, I would have preferred to, to be spaced out a bit more. But one thing about life. It doesn't really give a fuck what you want. It's just going to be what it is. We know we can't... You can't plan it or control it. I mean, you can do your best, but shit's gonna happen you know I was talking to my friend today and the fucking shit that happened to him in 2011 was much worse than what happened to me but we were just talking about how and I'm not gonna that's his life but you know he's had a lot more misfortune than me Uh, and he didn't know you know and you just have to fucking deal with it you know Uh, so I'm not complaining about this crazy decade. I'm just acknowledging that when I think about these last 10 years, I can't believe it's been a decade. And I'm sure if this podcast is going in 10 years' time and I'm talking about my dad dying 20 years ago, I'll be shocked how much faster that one went. Because they just seem to go faster and faster. I'm not exactly sure what I need to do to slow down life I don't know if I have to stay up longer during the day. i got to stop falling asleep at 9 p.m. But I wake up at the crack of dawn. What can I do to slow down this journey? Take it all in? You know? I mean, I, 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 can, I can literally remember moments when I was 11. Thinking like, you know... It's like January, and I'm like, you know, right now it seems so far away, but soon it's going to be summer. And the next thing it's summer, and I remember remembering. I remember remembering that I was thinking that one day it would be summer, and now it's summer. Boom, just like that. It goes fast, right? But now I'm fucking 45, and I'm thinking, I remember thinking one day I'm going to be an adult. I didn't think I, one day I was going to be older than an adult. One day I was going to be goddamn middle-aged. How how can I slow this down? It's going too fast. And I worry too much. Now I'm worrying about life going too fast. What am I going to do? Sorry, I'm kind of kidding. I'm kind of kidding, but not kidding. Um, and I don't like the anniversaries. I, I, I tend not to acknowledge them. I think I've said this before in the pod too, but... For, for years, a fan of mine used to message me on February 4th. Say, thinking of you on this day, and I'd be like, oh, fuck, it's my dad's anniversary. I, I don't even remember. You know? And then today I didn't remember. I didn't even remember February 4th was the day. 
And my brother texts me, which he never does. But he said it was February 4th, right? Like, we're not big anniversary guys. But when it was 10 years, I was like, okay, I'm acknowledging this. It's been a decade. I was 35. I'm 45 now. You know? I'm carrying three separate injuries. You know? I got a problem with my coccyx. There's something going on in the, the, the back end of the left of my left knee, the left side of my left knee. And uh, I, know I, have another, I have another injury. What the hell is it? Ugh, it's gone out of my head now. And I can't remember shit. I'm fucking 45. I got a second lease at life. Very happy in a relationship. And she's starting her reality TV show tonight, so let's see what happens. In fact, would you believe I've just come into the driveway? As I say, I'm not even kidding. As I say this, she's seen me. She's come out onto the deck and she's twerking. She's twerking for me. So I can't complain. At 45, I've been given a new lease of life. She's literally bending over and shaking her ass for me. What great time. And she doesn't even know. She can't even hear me. She doesn't even know how good the timing is to give me a bit of gratitude. And maybe that sweet ass is going to be the mother of my children. And I can start all these memories again. And then my child can do a podcast about looking after me when I'm old and I can't wipe my own ass. But hopefully there'll be a cure for all the things that killed my parents. And please let there be a cure for Alzheimer's. And please let me get the goddamn vaccine. And we'll just get on with things. Anyway, guys, I don't know if that was interesting or not. I don't know. I don't know what to talk about today. This came in my mind. I said I'm going to talk about it. Now I've talked about it. I hope you got something out of it. And uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, I'm at Des Bishop on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop. At Des Bishop on Twitter. Message Steve. We'll get Steve back on the pod soon. At hello, Steve-O. Do DM me and let me know if you want me to do Summer House reaction apps. Five stars on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the reviews. Spread the word about the pod. Thank you so much for all the great feedback about Dermot's app and Blakely's app. Fantastic. Love feedback. Patreon.com forward slash Dash Bishop every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's the beginning of the month. You should subscribe. It's only a fiver. We do great stuff there. Thank you for listening, guys. This one's in memory of my dad, Mike Bishop. Good looking guy. He's up there, I guess. Not that I believe in that, but my brother was funny. He was like, I guess I'm supposed to put a picture of my dad right as if he's listening to me. Get some sympathy. It was funny. It was cynical. But then when you start talking about it, you get emotional. So thanks for listening, guys. You don't need to message me saying sorry for your loss, 10 years, all that. It's all good. I'm going to go up to the twerker now and have a laugh. Peace. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.